1984, Eddie Murphy was a rising star, fresh off playing Gumby on Saturday Night Live and hustling Nick Nolte in 48 hours. He was red hot, hot enough to command a multi-million dollar salary out of only 14 million in the whole budget for Beverly Hills Cop, and the studio got what they paid for. A mediocre script elevated into the biggest comedy blockbuster of all time. I love Judge Reinhold, but he couldn't have carried this one to making $300 million. Full of Murphy's improvs, his trademark laugh, and surprisingly modern action sequences, this film was a bona fide phenomenon. But does it merit classic status? We wanted to know, so we poured ourselves Axel Foley's favorite drink, scotch and soda, to sit down and decide. It's time for episode 89 of Toasting the Classics, Beverly Hills Cop. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we talk about it and drink something inspired by the classic. And then we're going to decide whether we think it should still be a classic. We have uh, had to make an emergency call to the bullpen this week because uh, my usual partner, Clint, is not feeling well and is out for a little bit. So my name is Dave MacArthur, but I've also got guest hosts. My name is Chris Gregg and Bill Hodges. All right, welcome back, guys. What was the, was the last thing we did, the last Eddie Murphy movie, or did we do something else? If- the last one I think the three of us did together was was 48 Hours. You and you and Chris may have done something with someone else. Did we all watch the same movie this time? I hope. You did, yes, thankfully. Some, yeah, okay, good. It was Vampire yes. in Brooklyn, right? That's what Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what it was. That no. is not, no, no one calls that, I, you know what, I take that back. Someone probably calls Vampire in Brooklyn a classic movie. But I don't, and I don't. Th- I don't know anybody who does. So what we went with is Beverly Hills Cop. I have somehow never seen this movie. How about you guys? I had okay. seen this movie several times. Um, it's actually one of my favorite Eddie Murphy films, and I feel like for good reason. Okay. I think I saw it when it first came out, and I have not seen it since. So it was interesting to come back and revisit it. Eddie Murphy was so R-rated that he was not on my radar. I knew there was a famous person called Eddie Murphy, but I was not allowed to watch his movies. Like I did not see Eddie Murphy movies when I was six and seven years old. So did you I see did any not... of his Gumby skits on Saturday Night Live or anything? No, because I didn't stay up late enough to watch Saturday Night Live either. So I was basically okay. just completely unaware of the whole, well, no, Trading Places for some reason we had. That was on cable all the time. So I saw that a bunch of times, but not these two that are easily confusable. And for good reason, I watched this and I was like, oh, there's a good reason why we. some of us thought we were watching Beverly Hills Cop and some of us thought we were watching 48 Hours last time. Thank you. Finally, I'm vindicated. Yeah, no, you should be. They have some of the same actors. They have sort of a similar style. This one edges a little bit more towards comedy. I would argue he's playing the same character in both movies. He's a little bit scummier in the first one. And the, I and don't and know he, about that. And he's, he's a, a well, he's a criminal in the for in forty eight. No, I mean he's yes. a cop. He's a criminal in this too. He's he's a bad cop in this, that's for sure. But he's like we talked about this before. But he's got like some misogynistic behavior and stuff. It's pretty unattractive in the other one. He seems a little bit like an actual criminal. This guy's well. I, don't I mean, the, the few things that really jumped out to me in this one are uh, talking with his best friend about stealing a car when when he was a kid. Um, when they were kids, though, yeah. When they yeah. were kids, yeah. Well, I mean, there's the whole initial setup of the movie where he's doing a sting that's unauthorized, uh, has no safety right. procedures at all, and could easily get people killed, and probably should have gotten him fired. But I mean, even when he goes to check in in the hotel, he's running a scam. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, just to get the room, he doesn't run a scam to get it paid for or anything like that. He just, right. he just. So- just to- <laughs> 
so just to go around having a reservation. I don't know. That's not really. That's not so scuzzy. I would say yeah, whatever it took total to get Karen there. move. Is, is all yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. It's it's it it could be I suppose considered obnoxious, but you know that's that I think that's fair game. I'm I'm not really terrible. I mean, are you guys opposed to Damon Wayans giving him like three bananas for the tailpipe? <laughs> not at all. I love no. that. I was shocked. I, Wayans. I had to stop and look it up and make sure it was actually him. I had great. to look it up, but I, I recognized him, but I just always have to look up Wayans. Like I can never remember which Wayans is which. And I, I thought that was to myself, exactly it. my note is there's a Wayans. And then I had to go look up. Yeah. And, oh, right. it's Damon. Yeah. I, I had a moment. I, th- I thought it was Damon Wayans because I was pretty sure because he played, I think that character on in living color when he did the bit with the the three snaps in a circle that's pretty much the same gay spoof which by the way is rampant in this movie and would not be okay in 2023 there's eddie murphy does a bit where he pretends to be gay ramon damon wayans is playing a very effeminate although maybe just the character it's really not as much of a spoof and then bronson pinchot is like ridiculous as well although not as explicitly gay, but probably this, gay. that's where Bronson Pinchot came from. Apparently, he was. Cast. Is it? I was. Yeah. So this was before whatever that stupid show, he, Perfect Strangers, right? Strangers, I think. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was before that. This is this Baraki Bardakumus. I yeah. never watched that show. I think Same. it was on a network. I didn't watch shows on for some reason, so I never saw Perfect Strangers. But that's in my gap. Nobody, please suggest that for doing a, a, an episode of Toasting the Classics. I do not want to go back and watch that. So, all like 12 i don't know how many seasons that went honestly but seven no idea i had to look it up when i, I was looking up him for some reason for this show i guess so why don't we get to the drink let's get the drinks out what do, what do we go with guys we have uh some scotch and soda and you Which already poured okay apparently and i i did Willie's favorite drink it was the first thing that came up when i googled drink in beverly hills cop and then yeah right away that he definitely drinks it it wasn't a stretch it's definitely the drink that gets mentioned it's like the white russian in 48 hours it's pretty apropos it's yeah, mentioned no. twice in this yeah different occasions they uh the black russian in 48 hours though oh yeah you're right because of the because of the just wonderful joke this one's a little lighter on race i thought beverly hills cop comes up a couple of times and when it does it's not done very well i thought it actually it was much more interesting as a subject in 48 hours in this one there's just a couple of dumb jokes like he makes fun of the black cop for talking like a white guy and i don't know how much else there really was in fact you would think it would have come up more often in these interactions in reality i thought that was really interesting too and when i looked into it apparently the reason why is that until a couple of weeks before they actually shot Axel Foley was supposed to be played by Sylvester Stallone. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did come across that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I think Eddie Murphy, just like he did with 48 Hours, contributed a lot to the script during the filming process and up to the last moment. Yes, there was a lot of ad-libbing with him and with Judge Mm -hmm. Reinhold. But if you're looking for, you know, like an overarching thesis on race in this plot, it's just not there. No, it's really not. And, and and, And like I said, You've got a you've got a black cop showing up from Detroit in Beverly Hills, interacting with the police in ways that do not raise the specter of race at all. When that would have been an issue dealing with cops in L.A. in 1984, a a black guy doing the things that he's doing throughout this movie, I'm pretty sure would have ended up in big trouble with the police. But they the Beverly Hills cops come across as sort of bumbling, but otherwise kind of good guys which is strange. It's strange for this kind of a script, I would think. There's a there's like a weird variation between them. So Judge Reinhold, in my mind, is like a 
like a golden retriever. He's very easily distracted and not. Oh, he looks like a golden retriever. His face looks like a golden retriever's face, Judge Reinhold. His his partner is like a bulldog. I don't know why I'm doing all these dog metaphors, but anyway. And then <laughs> okay, so what's like, Eddie Murphy? Like a chihuahua or something? Like so, something <laughs> something very persistent and small and yappy. He's a golden doodle. How about that? Uh, but I would say the uh, lieutenant is the star of the show, honestly, because he's the most stand-up cop there, and he he seems to always do the right thing in every every occasion. Yeah, he did. He seemed to really handle. I was very. I thought he was going to just turn out to be the bad guy. In the last half hour of the movie, when he's trying to find out where they're going, I was genuinely surprised when he was like, "Who lives at that address?" When they're going to Maitland's address, because I was like, "Oh, I thought he was going to turn around and be the villain." That actor looks like a villain to me. I think he's a villain in like one of those eighties movies. He's the smarmy bad guy. Is it RoboCop? I can't remember. Well, anyway. Basic synopsis of the film this is a fish out of water story where a Detroit cop a friend of his gets murdered and the case leads him to Beverly Hills, California. And basically he's there not on police business, which surprised me. I thought he was just a cop in this movie that was in Beverly Hills. I thought somehow he got fired or got detached to go work in Detroit in Beverly Hills from Detroit. I didn't realize he's just showing up off the clock. Yeah. So that was a, you know. Minor it's kind of funny. The titular Beverly Hills cop is actually Judge Reinhold. He is introduced exactly. in the last, right before the last scene at us. Oh, yeah, he's he's a Beverly Hills cop. See, that doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't, but it happened. Judge Reinhold at the very end of the movie is introduced as, oh, this is my friend. He's a Beverly Hills cop. Oh, well, that maybe I'm reading it wrong, but, the, you know. Yeah, I don't know if that necessarily, it's true because Eddie Murphy's character, Axel Foley, is not a Beverly Hills cop. No. He's not a cop from Detroit being a cop in Beverly Hills. He's just going around and mostly kind of causing trouble. A lot of it doesn't really seem to to operate like detective business. A lot of it seems to be sneak in to encounter the villain and cause a ruckus for no good reason. There's two scenes I could think of where I was thinking, these scenes are just, they're fun to watch Eddie Murphy be Eddie Murphy in these scenes, but I don't know what this character is doing when he does this. Yeah, go, yeah, he's, he's social engineering his way into have a confrontation and right. then get thrown out. And then you're on to the next scene. Don't worry about it. Exactly. It just he gets himself. He bluffs his way into the guy's office, then gets tossed through the window. Why would they do that? It's their office. I don't know why they would toss somebody through their own window. 100 percent agree. It seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, that seems really unnecessarily dramatic. Uh, and then he goes in, he bluffs his way into the club. With his infamous bit with pretending to be Ramon, the gay guy, and then destroys a buffet and gets himself thrown out of there. And I don't think that advances the plot at all. Now, I think it's arguable that I don't really care that much about the plot in this movie. It's mostly a vehicle to watch Eddie Murphy be Eddie Murphy. So I don't think anybody noticed that those scenes didn't really. It's rather like how Indiana Jones ends up not particularly affecting the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just the Nazis would have been killed by the by the ark anyway and i don't know i mean that's arguably I, I he's a... there to take the ark back to the u.s at the end i guess right right because maybe the germans would have just come along after everybody was dead and put it in a german warehouse but see i, I... felt like the, the conflict there between at foley and zach who's played by jonathan banks was actually taking the, the plot along and in, in in the sense that it was building up their conflict with one another it builds up the personal conflicts. That much is definitely true. And that's why you miss that it doesn't really do anything otherwise, because it builds up the drama between the characters. But I mean, he, he effectively a... hoax the main villain into kidnapping his friend. Yeah, we do see the main 
antagonist kind of going then to the art gallery and confronting the character Jenny Summers. The character um, Jenny not Summers. actually kidnapped until they break into one of his places for a third time. He he doesn't actually break in at any point to that to those warehouses. He did, I guess I mean he he yeah, literally he jumps a fence, but he no Jenny Summers has the keys to those establishments. Right, so she has the keys to these art galleries. In the last one, yeah, yeah, I guess so. But and in the last one, the fence in a in a restricted area for the U.S. government is definitely breaking and entering, though. Yeah, I mean, he jumps yeah, the fence, but then he a, makes that's the point he crime. makes. He kind of uses that as a way of of getting in the information. He's like, "How is it that a guy looking like me is able to just get in here with without any issue?" I don't know. I I I guess I kind of I kind of disagree. In that, I think he's kind of he's moving the plot along, and he's able. No, to when he breaks in, when he breaks in the warehouse, he's definitely moving the plot along and discovering part of the caper and stuff. I'm talking about those two confrontations he has that don't seem to serve any purpose. But yeah, there's there is some detective work going on, which is you know probably some of the better parts of the movie. I thought. Is it all on the up and up? Definitely not. Right? No, it's definitely and, not. Well, but for one thing, he's not he's not a cop, so or he's not in his he's, he's not. He's officially in a capacity as a as officer but he's he's investigating the death of this teenage pal that got shot killed right in front of him after they knocked him out did that actor look familiar the guy that plays the friend i couldn't figure out who he was oh yeah he, i looked him up he's been in something like 150 different movies it's crazy he's got a very uh greaseball look to him like he seems like he'd be perfect for like the sketchy guy in just about anything so i'm sure he's weirdly it's mostly christmas movies because he was in a christmas story oh was he really uh i started out the movie my first note was that doesn't look like california and that's because the movie does not start in california it starts in detroit that's right and i kind of wondered you guys seem to agree with the police that that was a big screw up on his part to do that heist and the, the bus that way but it seemed like it was the cop showing up that made it a problem well why did you give the keys to your truck to the guys when you hadn't received the money yet. Yeah, know. maybe he just left the keys in the ignition. That's Why would you make do, it possible right? to transport the truck at all if it's a bust? The amount of property damage and potential deaths that yeah. he is responsible for for a an operation where he has no no oversight or or approval to run. I mean, not to mention that might have been entrapment if you show up with something like that and they're not they're not in the market to buy cigarettes. He's having to convince them that it's something worth buying. To me, that sounds like entrapment. That's not my realm of expertise, but um, I was impressed that he said pop a cap. I thought it was early for that. He says a couple of things like that. He says, you're going to go to jail behind this. And I've never heard that use of the preposition that way until very <laughs> recently. So I was impressed that those things go back that far. What do you guys think of the movie in general? I like the movie. I, you know, it was something, honestly, it was a movie that I probably shouldn't have been watching considering it came out in like 84. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Eight. It actually came out my eighth birthday. Interesting. Or the day after what, my eighth birthday. Is that uh, what you did for your uh, for your eighth birthday? For my Everybody... eighth birthday, probably not. But it was a it was a well really well received. One of the highest grossing comedies of all time, uh, in in the U.S. Yeah, it was the top I think R rated movie until something that sucked came out. Maybe the Matrix was it the Matrix Revolutions or something like that? Was the was the the next time an R-rated movie made more money than this or had a bigger opening. It but, may still be the top-rated R-rated comedy of all time. Adjusted for inflation, it's third place for R-rated movies of all time, and those other two movies are The Godfather and The Exorcist. So yes, definitely, it would be 
the the top comedy top r-rated comedy of all time still when you adjust for inflation so because i don't know except for beetlejuice i don't think the Exor- exorcist is supposed to be a comedy so no i don't think so I, uh, I remember liking this quite a bit when i was a kid and it was weird to come back to it now with a, a very different perspective and a different sense of humor and I, th- I think a lot of the humor didn't land too well with me because so mm. much of it's really mean-spirited making fun of someone as, as the point of humor as opposed to humor for humor's sake or, there I, is a lot of that going on there's so, a lot of that. yeah that, that drug, drug me down a bit there were a few times i thought there were some really funny bits uh Usually, right, like what? What was? What's the funniest? Well, his his super cop speech. Yes, uh, that's what I. That's what I had too. Yeah, was great. I mean, that was fantastic. And then his reaction when the guy tells the truth and he's like, you know, the super cop story was working. You know, <laughs> that, was, that, that was pretty. That was pretty fun to watch. I like that. That was apparently um, that was all ad lib. So those are, are real reactions. The reason his partner is like pinching his nose like this and looking down as he's trying not to laugh. The interaction between the two actual Beverly Hill cop partners. They were apparently told to act like an old married couple, and it really comes through in all the scenes they're mm-hmm. in. Yeah, it's they're very, good. I like them. I, I I always had a soft spot for Judge Reinhold. I don't know why. Maybe because he was in Gremlins when I was a little kid or something. But I just always I always liked that guy. He always and I, and there was this terrible movie. It was one of those switcheroo movies called Vice Versa, and it, with Fred Savage. And yeah. I really liked that movie when I was a little kid. I watched it a bunch of times. So I think I just liked that actor for some reason. So he has one of the most comical looking faces. It's kind of like you said. He kind of looks like some sort of a dopey dog. Like as a person, but something about him always appealed to me. But and the um, character's name was Billy, which I can relate to. Right, Billy Rosewood. Right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, his boss's boss is chewing them out, and he gets his name wrong. He's like, "No, sir, it's Rosewood." I don't know why you would do that. I I really was um, surprised that neither of those officers above them, the, the the chief and the lieutenant, ended up not being bad. I, I I really was surprised by that. I was waiting for that the whole movie, but. There were some weird structural things going on. Like, I don't know why you needed Jonathan Banks and another guy above him. You know, why not just have one big bad guy? And why did the bad guys all have this strange jacket and tie dress code? Everybody's wearing a suit in this movie, except Eddie Murphy. It's weird, right? The the cops are wearing suits. It seems strange. I guess detectives wear suits. Detectives definitely do. But are these guys detectives that are being sent on the stakeout of... I think they were doing a deliberate heightened difference between Detroit police and uh, police in Beverly Hills, too, because the environment yeah. was totally different. Well, the, the technology the director, in Martin the Rest, apparently took a lot of his sets, set ideas from war games, which he was fired from, mm. and used that as the police station in Beverly Hills. I can Hills. see that. Yeah, it looks just like that. It looks like the war room in war games. Yeah, absolutely. Martin Brest had some really good movies, by the way. He did this, which was obviously huge. And then Midnight Run... I don't think it was as big of a success financially, but I that's a much I think that's a better movie. Better I was gonna say better movie, way better movie. Probably his yeah, best I movie. think that's a better movie. And then he did Scent of a Woman, which was hugely acclaimed. I don't know how it stands up to the test of time. People like it, but I never really thought much of it. I thought it was good when I watched it, but it was a long, long time ago. And I mm-hmm. don't know. I, I thought it was okay, but I haven't seen it since. He also did uh Gigli, or Jiggly, however yeah, you want to Yeah, that uh, kind of ended his career. Yeah. yeah, that was a little bit of a debacle. Yeah, definitely. He also appears in this movie. He does is, he? Who does he play? He is the checkout clerk at the end. Checkout clerk at what? Would they go to a hotel a- at the plaza? Oh, 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 okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, sure. The guy that gives him the uh, towels. Okay. Yes. Well, he seemed to be perfectly capable of acting, actually. 
I didn't really that just seemed like a like a bit part for an actor. He did he he didn't look strange the way directors sometimes do. They sometimes can't look at the camera correctly and things. So yeah, he had a line or two. He didn't he didn't stand out as being weird or anything, but he was there. You know, you know who's an interesting uh, character actor that was in there is um when he goes when he breaks into the warehouse, the, the sort of dopey looking guy that's in charge of the warehouse. I was looking at ah oh boy, I recognize that guy's face from somewhere. And he is the other brownie in Willow with Kevin Pollock. Wow. He's the second one of those guys. And That's a crazy guy, pull. <laughs> and, and he's the guy from Groundhog Day when he goes with the two doofuses and gets thrown in jail and the guy keeps asking for flapjacks. That actor. Yeah, like, the ones in the car on the railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he says, oh, yeah. Don't drive on the railroad tracks. He's like, Ray, that's that's one I happen to agree with. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Reiser's in the first five minutes of the movie. And yeah, I thought Paul Reiser was going to have a big part. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. I don't know if I was telling you guys, but I just watched Diner. And Diner was like this huge phenomenon. I mean, if you go see this movie, the cast in it is ridiculous, the people that are in this movie. And so they were, it was like the way people were casting people from train spotting or something like the year after train spotting came out, you were seeing these guys in everything like Paul Reiser and um, Steve Gutenberg and all these people in the, in the first part of the eighties were just all over movies because of being Mickey Rourke was supposed to play Axel Foley. Originally. Yeah. Um, who was the other one? Oh, they offered it to Harrison Ford and he said, no. Thanks. And oh, Scorsese to direct it. Scorsese, to, Scorsese direct it, yeah. to direct it, but he thought it was too close to something called Coogan's Bluff, which I'm not familiar with. So I, yeah, it's like an Asian movie that is okay. The whole Stallone thing is is kind of interesting, and they were talking about how Stallone kind of took that script after being ushered away from from the role, uh, mm-hmm. and he ended up t- kind of turning that into Cobra. There's a movie, yeah. I think yeah. it also had Judge Reinhold in it, right? I feel like it did. No idea. I don't think I ever saw Cobra. If yeah. I did, it's been when it came out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, he wanted it to be an action movie, and it was just he did. It would have been very. It would have been, a, I think, very a very completely different film. Yeah, which you know, I think when I was growing up, I think these kind of R-rated action films from the '80s. I think my parents just didn't like those, so I didn't see them. Because if it was sci-fi, we'd watch it. Like we would watch Predator or Terminator or something like that. But did you watch Aliens? Yes, but only at home on cable eventually. Like I didn't go see it in the theater at the time. Although my dad would have taken me to see Aliens, but no, we I saw it later. And there was an argument actually. I remember my stepmother said it was too intense for me to watch, but I watched it anyway. And I loved it, but it was pretty it was pretty intense. She had a point. <laughs> pretty scary movie for like a 9-year-old or whatever I was at the time. Aliens is still just an awesome classic of a movie. That was great. It really is. It really is. Those not to get into a completely different movie, but those two films, Alien and Aliens, are both terrific movies that are completely different genres and completely done differently. They have they have very little to do with each other, but they're both great films. I actually kind of prefer Aliens. It's, it's my it's really rare to get a, a a series like that that changes genre and both movies yeah, are and they're both really good. Yeah, exactly. So that did not happen with Beverly Hills Cup 2. Uh, with Beverly Hills Cup 2, oh, I heard it was okay. Was that, that one was all right. I think 3 was supposed to be a real stinker. but There's a direct quote from Eddie Murphy about Beverly Hills Cop 2. It's something like, it's the most mediocre, best-performing movie ever. That yeah, hilarious. it actually made more money than the original Beverly Hills Cop. There are a lot of sequels that are very well-performing and very mediocre movies. That's why they keep making sequels. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here with a possible unpopular opinion, but Avatar is pretty mediocre. And was like is like the number one movie of all time. I, I think that's probably the biggest earner for a mediocre movie. 
Like I, I didn't hate that movie, but it was not the best movie of all time. Or I mean, we have to talk about the music, right? We we should talk about the music. The music is actually pretty notable. That song. So I said I said I never watched this movie, but when I was in, I don't know, maybe we were in second grade together. Actually, when Axel F was like all over the place, and everybody was trying to play it on the keyboard, and I yeah. thought it was the <laughs> coolest song I'd ever heard in my entire life at the time. I thought there was some musical term called an Axel like an ice skating and that it was in the key of F because I did I not know what to ask if you knew what it, what it was. No, called. I had yeah. no idea what it was referring to. I remember thinking uh, there was some musical term called an axle that I didn't know about. When and, did that uh, click for you? Years and years later. Years oh, and years damn, later. I was hoping you were going to say last week. <laughs> no, 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 no. Later, much later. Like I, I was, somebody mentioned the character was named Axel Foley and I was like, Oh, Axel F. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Like it clicked right away, but yeah. And they use the hell out of that song in this movie. They play it at least four maybe five. it's a great theme it's a great theme it's really cool it has a, especially if you can put yourself in the mindset of being in 1984 when synthesizers were super cool sounding yeah which i think it's come back around and they're kind of cool again because it, it's indicative of a time period but they were really popular and then it got to be like yeah yeah we know what a synthesizer sounds like stop doing that and then now it sounds cool again so harold faltermeyer the guy that did the did the tune also did the top gun anthem by the way which I didn't realize. That's also a really cool movie theme. And he did one of the other songs in this movie. I think the one of the was it the opening song? I can't remember exactly which one, but yeah. The opening song is The Heat Is On, isn't it? The Heat Is On, which is uh that was Harold Faltmeyer and Oh, uh, so that's him too. Oh, okay. Forcey. Right. Yep. Uh, and then there were a couple of other yeah. ones. There's there's some by um is it Patty LaBelle? Yeah. Yeah. So so there's definitely a pretty good soundtrack. There's some bad ones. What like one nasty girl? Thing. The Janet Jackson song that's in this? No, Nasty Girl. Oh, that's though. Nasty Boys. That's Nasty Boys. Nasty My Boys. Yeah. That's yeah, the I don't song know. they nasty. play in the strip club. Okay, yeah, that's pretty bad. And there's one playing when he goes into the art gallery that was just not like terrible. It didn't sound like fingernails on a blackboard, but it was just like, oh yeah, that's a like a lame song from the 80s. That's that's really not noteworthy. But otherwise, it's pretty good. Pretty pretty solid soundtrack. The movie costs only 13 million dollars. It actually was budgeted for 14 and came in a million dollars under budget. And four of that was Eddie Murphy. So, I don't, I mean, these are pretty decent action sequences. The first one with all the trucks, that must have cost half the budget. And then the gunfight sequence at the end must have been another big chunk of the budget, you would think. Otherwise, it's just interiors and rooms and things like that. A broken window here and there. I mean, the uh, yeah, the, the car crashes at the beginning probably cost a fair amount. But you're yeah. filming it probably in Detroit. And there are a ton of those old style police cars with the single woo 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 light on oh, top. The, gum, the, like there's... the gumball. Yeah. Yeah. Straight out of I think it was partially filmed in Detroit, but it was also filmed in someplace like Flint, like someplace even more run down than Detroit. Because I was thinking, I was looking at the beginning movie. I was thinking, was Detroit already that run down in 1984? I kind of don't think so. I think Detroit didn't look quite that bad, but I, I don't know. I've been there years and years later and you know it's a little rundown but looks like yeah they said they had a uh undercover cop from detroit helping them scout out locations and there were certain places that they were filming that he would just not go the undercover cop yeah interesting so i kind of think it was in detroit but maybe not wayne Michigan. Well, i kept thinking fort wayne okay yeah wayne yeah. right bearer bonds are a wonderful mcguffin i think as we've all learned in in uh, die hard and and probably various other pictures that i'm thinking of german bearer bonds so you, german you, you know they're nefarious in some way i think they're u.s bearer bonds in die hard though aren't are they not 
Probably. I think, they're, I think they're, yeah, I think they're backed by the Federal Reserve. But I was thinking that, so essentially, if you have a bearer bond worth $10,000, it's pretty much $10,000, right? Why not just have money? I guess it's more interesting and memorable to have it be bearer bonds. It's well, in, interesting fact. The reason that you no longer have large denomination bills is because bank robberies were that popular. So they, mm. they cut down the large denomination bills to make physical money bulkier to carry around. Sure. So I think the thought is $10,000 in bearer bonds is like way less bulky than carrying yeah. around hundreds. And so it's just more efficient to transport. Also, it links the plot, right? Because he wouldn't have known there was a connection between the murder and and the, the guy at the end of the film if he hadn't seen the same bearer bonds in the warehouse. Because that, right. if it had just been cash, it probably wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked. I tried to keep track of the Eddie Murphy laugh how many times it came up i lost i lost track at eight and i was only about 40 minutes 40 minutes into the film so remember um, how surprised we all were in in 48 hours where it only showed up once or twice yeah it was not it's as in prominent. full form here no, yeah it's in full it's in full force here definitely i also yeah. really like the interaction with summers the summers character and murphy's where she like mimic mo kind of mocks him there i thought that was funny at the time where she like i does they, the... I, I really liked them together but yeah. she was not she's not a good actress. And I went to go look her up in IMDb because she looked kind of familiar. And the first thing I saw when I looked at IMDb was it was the photo from Beverly Hills Cop. And I was like, oh, that's that doesn't bode well for the lady's career. <laughs> the fact that that's she she was thing. in a lot of stuff. She was and she, she was I a, think she kid was actress, a working actress. Child she actress, was a working yeah. actress for a while, but she did not have a big career after Beverly Hills Cop. So I wonder uh, if they brought her back two, for, three, four, for five. She was in like five films after that. How do you tie in an art dealer in the next Beverly Hills Cop franchise? It's a bit of a stretch. I don't know. I mean, they made sure to bring back Judge Reinhold for all of them. And did you guys know there was a TV show? Sorry, but, it was a TV movie. Of course you bring back Judge Reinhold. He is the titular Beverly Hills Cop. So Apparently. Uh, also, he probably was just sitting there by the phone, hoping they would do a TV movie in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. So when was Beverly Hills Cop? He's like, I'm a judge. Damn it. 94. 94. 94. What what were you saying about Night Court? Hey, don't you think he would be pissed not to be cast in Night Court? His name is Judge. I really liked Harry Anderson. Kind of yeah. in the same way. I think I just thought he was funny looking, so I enjoyed watching him like be, be comedic. So There is a similarity between the two of them. There sure. is a little bit. There's a goofiness there. Oh, I my favorite part of the movie, I think, was the foiled robbery in the strip club. Not not a big fan of the gratuitous strip club bit, right? Like I, that's I, that's just something you had to do in an R-rated movie in the '80s was you had to have a naked woman for some reason. Had to have to, a strip club scene, right? Yep. But the bit where they notice the two guys coming in and then they sort of disarm those guys—that part was pretty fun. I was like, that's fun to watch. I like I like watching him figure out that that's going to happen before it happens and busting the guys. I don't know. That's the kind of thing. That's that's the kind of sequence I enjoy in a movie. Yeah, and it's the it's significant too plot wise because it's the beginning of the shift from them being antagonistic with each other. Right, start. right. Their, pers their the personality of the guys changes after that. So yeah, that, that is a big deal. Can we talk a little bit about how entirely forgettable the main villain of the movie is? Yeah, right? Because it's a big part. It could have been really memorable in yeah. the hands of somebody else. For instance, if that guy had played the bad guy in Die Hard, I don't think we'd be talking about Die Hard 30 years later. Because that guy was very, as you said, not for not not memorable but i think the actor is pretty accomplished is he not he's in some james bond movies he was in a clockwork orange apparently so he's got a pretty good pedigree but i i just he, he didn't stand out to me in any way 
It may well have been the script, just didn't give him anything interesting to do. A, a lot of his scenes were him trying to be menacing and having various success at it. What do you think of this? So this this actually was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, this film. What do you mm-hmm. think about that? I actually read a quote, I think it was on Wikipedia, they mentioned that Kingsley, none other than Kingsley Amos said that this, this movie was a work of perfection. I'm like, to me, it's just Eddie Murphy for an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. I, I don't really, because... So I don't know. I mean, did I miss something in the script that you guys picked up on? Why is it getting so much acclaim? I think we've seen so much that is done in a similar fashion as this. Mm -hmm. You know, last time with 48 Hours, we were talking about a buddy cop movie. This really was a buddy cop movie. Is it though? Somebody called it that. What, it, who's the buddy cop? I mean, you got the you got the the Mary. Well, you got Eddie you, Murphy you have, you and you've got D2 and C3PO there, but I mean, I think I think Taggart and Rosewood and befriend or or at least fully befriends these guys, these right. cops from you know from very different backgrounds, very different culture, and they bring down the big bad. I guess so. To me, the buddy cop movies, the the the, the two pro protagonists are the buddy cops. Like bad boys. That's a buddy cop movie, right? But well, the, these guys know. are cops. I mean, Murphy. No, but they're not. The, they're not the protagonists. Is my point. If you were, if okay. you were gonna, if you were gonna hand out a best actor, it's Eddie Murphy, not Judge Reinhold and Taggart. Yeah, I, I didn't really get why this would have been considered such an amazing script. I didn't think it was bad, but it didn't really pop to me in any way. Like the dialogue didn't particularly pop to me. Um, Especially since the script was apparently changing so much all the time. Uh, there is one scene, in fact, where an actor is holding the script while he's doing his performance. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's pretty funny. It's rolled up. Yeah. And they left it in. It's Eddie Murphy's boss in Detroit. And they just thought it made him look more official to have the rolled up piece of paper in his hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. I felt like Eddie Murphy's boss, the Detroit cop, could have been better, too. That also could have been a more fun part. Well, he was, I, was uh, wasn't he the same boss as in 48 Hours? No, no. The boss in 48 hours is, he's that actor that's in a bunch of other stuff. I think he was in uh, maybe Police Academy. So even. is this guy. I, maybe, okay. Oh, I guess I'm the, thinking. The, 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 um, the chief in 48 hours is the teacher from Red Dawn that gets killed in the first five minutes of the movie. That mm-hmm. actor. So you can picture okay. his face. That's the chief in 48 hours. Yeah. It's funny because they're talking about bringing in Sylvester Stallone, essentially like as a script doctor on this thing, like to write this, to write this screenplay. Because the idea was originally Don Simpson's, just kind of the high concept of this film. Well, there is some debate there, actually. I've heard the original idea was Michael Eisner's because he was pulled Uh over in a crappy car when he first came to Beverly Hills. And they wanted wanted to make a movie out of that. And Simpson and he apparently have never agreed on who came up with it. Oh, okay. Interesting. I mean, it's really not that great of a high concept. It's pretty good. It's just something you would come up with in five minutes. But... When I first read that about Stallone, I was like, well, what? That's that sounds like a joke to me. But it's like Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky. He can he knows how to write a screenplay. He was a really good writer of a screenplay, actually. Rocky's a terrific movie. But by this time, he was just a completely different person. He was the guy from Rocky Four by the time this movie came out, which is a completely different, you know, robot butler having version of Rocky that I think comes forth in Cobra and the script. But well, Stallone wanted to make this more of a dramatic action flick than a, a comedy action flick, right? That movie would have been there and gone in five minutes, I think. I just, yeah. I don't think it would have been memorable at all. But well, yeah, it was. So, it became Cobra. That it, the movie got made. Yeah, which is right. I could remember the cover 
of the VHS for Cobra, and that's about it. What'd you guys think about the drink? Oh, it's fine. I had scotch and soda quite a bit. Um, my dad used to drink scotch and soda, I think, because it's extremely low calories for a drink. So if if I'm feeling that way, I will actually drink a scotch and soda from time to time. Okay. It's nice and mellow. It's a, it's a nice drink to just sip on. What kind of scotch actually, did you guys get? I had doers left over from something we did from the Rusty Nail episode. I had doers left over, so I just drank that. I figure if you're drinking it scotch and soda, it shouldn't be good scotch. So you're going to ruin good scotch by making it a scotch and soda. So. Yeah, I just used a, a blended scotch, some Johnny Walker Red. It's and I had a uh, I had a pretty late night last night, so I was perfectly happy to have just what was left of the doers with an entire bottle of seltzer poured into it, basically. So that was uh, <laughs> kind of refreshing. So I didn't I didn't mind that at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it, easy drink, very easy to make. One of the easier ones we've made for the show. What scotch did you guys use? Uh, Johnny oh, Walker Red. Johnny Walker Red. Yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, a nice blend. Well, I and I used a McAllen or a Glen Levitt. Well, that no, that's a waste, I think. Maybe, I but it yeah. smells amazing, though. I bet it does. It's, I bet it's it does. yeah, no, it's a it's a twelve. I didn't do a whole lot of club. I was gonna say <laughs> it depends on the proportions you use, right? Because then it's kind of like you had some ice that melted, and you'd like watered down your scotch a little bit. Yeah. And I I can go for that even with a good scotch sometimes. Who wants to tell me what their biggest? So, Bill, you've seen the movie before. Did you come up with anything that surprised you upon reviewing this? No, um, I mean I think <laughs> okay, I think going Chris. going into the going into the backstory <laughs> a little bit about some of the production stuff is interesting. I hadn't necessarily done it any kind of deep dive on any of that. So it was interesting to to go in and, and look at that. The casting what ifs are a big deal here, I think. There's really some very different directions that they thought about going. I, that's that is pretty noteworthy. Yeah, I think that's right. That it that it came out with the potential for as many awards as it did. But also, uh, you know, it was just announced this week and they just released the fact that uh beverly hills cup 4 is coming out uh early this next year on uh on netflix so on the 21st they released some of the first images wow yeah, so no, that, you... that might be my biggest surprise is they that is a pretty big surprise yeah. for for beverly hills cup 4 yeah i'll be i'll be waiting with bated breath for that to come out it's not going to be in theaters though it's a straight to uh straight to netflix production sounds about right yeah and and apparently it was worked on during the writer's strike so i'm sure it's going to just have an amazing an amazing script myself uh bronson pinchot's appearance really surprised me i did not expect to see him because i i know him from obviously perfect strangers but also he was really funny in true romance he had a really good part that just i liked seeing him and I, i was surprised that he's not a cop like working as a cop in beverly hills the actual setup for the film was not what i expected the film to be i didn't expect him to be like you know, on vacation, privately investigating into a into a caper. So that's surprising. And they sort of unceremoniously ship him back at the end. That was funny. That actually was a pretty good bit too, where he was like, "Oh, great! I'll stick around here and I'll be a private detective." He's like, "Okay, I'll call. I'll call your boss. Don't don't worry. We'll get you reinstated in Detroit." Oh, I forgot to mention, they come up with this whole story for the chief about how they're working with the Detroit police, and I'm like. That there would be paperwork on that. That's going to be a glaring hole in that report after after this <laughs> happens. Like because the Detroit police are not involved in this and they're not going to be. So. All right, Chris, anything surprise you? Well, you know, it's always interesting to come back to a movie you haven't seen in thirty five plus years. It is, yeah. I, I remember enjoying it, as I, as I said. And again, the biggest surprise I, I think I have is that I really didn't think this movie was terribly funny. I, it just, I, I think forty eight hours is a better movie. I think. Lethal Weapon is a better 
buddy cop comedy. I just it was more mean spirited and weird than I remembered it being. I I concur completely with everything you just said. I think Lethal Weapon is a much better, more rewatchable movie. I think it stands up a lot more. And I definitely think 48 Hours, when we were sitting down to talk about it, is just a better film. There's more going on, more to talk about. Yeah, there's more depth um, there in every scene. More depth. There's more themes. Very that are surface level. Uh, yeah, I guess there, there's right into my opinion on whether it's a classic. I I have to say, I, I don't. I This director has made better movies, as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Midnight Run is a better movie. Midnight Run, I think, is yeah, that's really good. Gem. Yep, uh, there are many other better, better buddy cop movies. Uh, there are many other better comedies. The fusion of the two has been done better in other other genres. I know it did really well for its time. I know it was a big hit when it came out, but I don't necessarily think that box office totals are an indication that something's a classic. And this one just wasn't ringing for me. I think I'm going to let Bill go next because let's keep. Uh... Let's see what's going on with this vote. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I have to disagree only in the sense that it's a movie that I can refer back to. Maybe just growing up with it and seeing it as many times as I have, I I can't tell you. I've probably I've seen it more than more than a handful of times. I don't know. It was it was it was funny at the time. It led into a lot of other really great flicks for him. I I can agree with the level of depth that that Chris is referring to. Probably true. But at the same, I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those movies that, that I think back on. Uh-huh. Am I? Am I like? Is is it? Is, is it a classic? I mean, is it a classic? Benefit? Yeah, classic I mean, film? it's a it's a movie that I that can think back on from my from my childhood. So I uh, I liked it. I and I still liked it. In fact, I thought I it, I was thinking as I was watching through it. I was like, you know, this this isn't an impossibility. Like political correctness of it is by today's standards are totally out the window but in 1980s standards i could see these sorts of interactions happening right in 2023 probably not but by 1980 standards would you have a cop who's coming from you know an impoverished background guy becomes uh, a detective to do right by his community and his buddy gets shot and killed and he wants to seek revenge is that a terrible plot line i don't think so i think that I think no that i don't is. think the, i don't think the plot line is inherently terrible i think the plot line is a solid setup for a film that elements of this movie were radically progressive for its time i mean the fact that you don't talk about race much is an interesting decision when he first goes to beverly hills and he gets gut punched and mm-hmm. the lieutenant comes out and asks if they want to press charges and his look of shock i was yeah i like that part i like yeah. that part I actually, to tell you the truth, the fact that they don't talk about race as much as they could have is frankly coming from 2023 refreshing. Like it's nice to see something where that's not an issue all the time. I don't Uh, think they are blatantly calling out race in a oral sense. Like they're not talking about it. They're not using derogatory terms like we had in 48 hours. No, they were they were showing it visually. They were showing the impoverished status of detroit and they're balancing that out and kind of contrasting that with the affluence of of beverly hills and and majority of the cops when you look at the beginning of the film those those cops at the it from detroit the officers there the detectives even the even the chief you know they they he might have been wearing a a suit and tie but or a shirt you know a collared shirt and tie but it, they weren't the 
they really weren't the impressed. college type of cop. Like when I, I grew yeah. up in I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia. So did Chris, obviously. And um, the police we had there were like all college type guys. They looked like these Beverly Hills cop, Beverly Hills cops, cops, because they they were just a different ilk than someplace like Detroit. Or in our case, we could go to the city in D.C. and we were like, these are not the same police. These are these are guys that get paid a third of what they're getting paid in Fairfax County. They're not dealing with the kind of they're dealing with stuff. The, the suburban cops are not dealing with it's just a completely different completely different situation but yeah yeah and so in that sense i mean with that with that, the contrasting <laughs> of those things to the degree that that was intentional i don't know probably i would think oh, so oh it totally it totally was yeah, yeah. Totally. i think that was relevant and i think that they were they were making like you said they were they were you know those those early scenes of the community in detroit just the blight that we saw there yeah. was significant and definitely i think that was real i think that was relevant so i'm i'm still kind of sticking to the fact that you know in in that way i i, I appreciated the film so i'm gonna vote for it okay so it's one to one I, so i think there's a big distinction for you having known this movie and i think a lot of people i think i'm kind of leaning towards the reason a lot of people would consider it a classic is because they saw it in 1984 and they remember this movie from a long time ago and so it's going to be very difficult for people to come in and see cold. I watched this. I had the same reaction as Chris. I was, I'm not laughing a whole lot. Like it's, it's not really, it, it's not one of those. I know comedy is kind of hard to translate after 40 years. So you have to give it credit for that. But I think when you look at the discussion of other people who could have played Axel Foley and how dull th that movie would have been, if it had been Mickey Rourke or Sylvester Stallone, or even Harrison Ford, frankly. Maybe not. He's very charismatic at this time. This is like Witness era Harrison Ford. He's very watchable. Maybe that could have been a good movie. But in general, I think this just would have been like you watch the movie and it's and it's done. It, you know, you don't you don't think about it ever again. And to me, that means the only claim to, to it being a big movie or a classic is Eddie Murphy. And I think if you're talking about the movie that started Eddie Murphy, because I thought about it, I was like, I got I think I'll vote for this because Eddie it started Eddie Murphy. But I think that movie is 48 hours. Eddie Murphy got paid $4 million to do this movie. He's already a star. Now, this solidified him as being the star of the 80s, obviously. But I, I, I don't think that we need this movie to explain Eddie Murphy as a phenomenon, like as much as you do 48 hours, because that's where he starts. So I think I'm going to vote against it, actually. I think I'm going to come down to saying I don't, I don't really consider this one to be a classic, although I know it's an important box office movie. But like Chris said, I don't really know that that's what we should go by. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to vote it down. I don't think this I think it's two to one. I think this one's not surviving the toasting the classics. Uh, Oof. Oof. And, that, and that doesn't that doesn't happen very often. That doesn't no. happen very often. No, it so. And I think it might have survived if we hadn't watched 48 hours. If I didn't have that in the back of my head, I, I probably still would have gone with. Well, you got to toast Eddie Murphy's career. But since we've seen these two movies, I think I got to say no. I think I greatly prefer 48 hours. I think you're talking into wanting to see the uh, the Harrison Ford 48 Hours, or sorry, the Harrison Ford Beverly Hills Cop. That would have been yeah. an interesting movie because Witness is honestly not a very good script, and his charisma is the only thing that makes that movie. Oh, fun. it's not. I see. I haven't, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I remember thinking I really liked it at the time, but Kelly McGillis is really good in it, and he's really good. And the kid, the kid is the kid's a really good actor too. He's that that kid that was in a bunch of things back then. I, I don't remember his name. Anyway, so Haley Joel Osment, but that's totally not. No, 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 no. He's the Haley Joel Osment of 1984. It's, it's not him. But yeah, it might as well be. So anyway, I think we're going to we're going to close it out for the night. We enjoyed scotch and soda. 
uh, I didn't hate watching this movie, but I think we're voting it down. It's, it's not getting into the canon of toasting the classics. I will totally vote for Scotch and Soda as a classic. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think Scotch and Soda is a, a solid, Cheers. Cheers a solid, refreshing drink. I was going to say cocktail, but I don't think it qualifies as a cocktail. So, I like so. All right, guys. All right. I think we should sign off. Uh, this is Dave MacArthur saying peace out. Bill Hodges. Chris Craig. Thank, thank you. you. That's it for episode 89 of Toasting the Classics. Apparently, we just don't like Eddie Murphy, which feels wrong. For those playing along at home, stay tuned to find out what we'll be drinking as we discuss the surfing documentary Endless Summer. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and videos with your best impression of the Murphy laugh. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. I don't remember what I did for my eighth birthday.